You're listening to Wealth Tech on Deck, a podcast about the future of wealth management technology, brought to you by Life Yield. Here's your host, Jack Sherry. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wealth Tech on Deck. Thanks for joining us. Each week, I have the privilege of speaking with industry leaders about issues that move our industry forward around financial advice, wealth and asset management, retirement, insurance and annuities, and technology. Our guests are working on strategies to help advisors, investors, participants, and firms enjoy better financial outcomes all around the confluence of digital and human advice. We tend to focus on the challenges and opportunities our guests are grappling with each day, what's new and what's exciting now and where the industry is headed. Today, we are speaking with Rob Petman. Rob is Executive Vice President, Wealth Management Solutions at LPL Financial. Rob, welcome to Wealth Tech on Deck. Oh, thank you, Jack. Happy to be here. Terrific. So, Rob, let's start with you telling our audience about your role at LPL. As I understand, it, you've recently uh, taken on some more responsibilities, so fill us in. Yeah, sure. So, I lead a group called Wealth Management Solutions. So as you think about that, that would be inclusive of the advisory platforms and the brokerage platforms that the firm offers, the investment products that we distribute, the relationships with asset managers, insurance companies, other wealth providers, and also wealth tech providers, by the way. That's actually a new addition that we've added on there, given how important fintech has really emerged into our industry. And then certainly last but not least would be the research department as well, which would be a new component that essentially completes the whole wealth management cycle, if you will. And I've been watching uh, LPL make lots of moves of late. They all sound pretty smart. We'll get into some more of that, I'm sure, as we go along here. Why don't we talk a little bit about your background, how you got started? Truth be known, I knew you when you were first starting at LPL way back when you and I had a conversation in Boston, as I recall. I'm going to say a long time. I'll just, I won't put years to it, but it, uh, it, it's a decade or two at least. So uh, why don't you fill us in? How'd you get started? And how'd you wind up doing what you're doing now? Sure. So I started actually as a financial advisor and I worked at a hybrid REA before hybrid REAs even existed or were a thing. And I was in Florida at the time. I went to undergrad in Florida and, you know, not the best time for me to, to go out and explore financial services. It was in the wake of 9-11. There weren't a whole ton of folks hiring. And I went door to door to these REAs to try to convince them to hire me. And I finally convinced one to go about doing that. So I ended up working in this hybrid REA for about three, three and a half years, something like that. And that was just that was just the greatest experience I really had. That was the foundation for my career because one of the things that I understood is just really how hard this job is. Yep. Uh, and it, you know, being able to relate to financial advisors and actually be able to speak like you know it and you've done it before, it means a lot, especially if you sort of walked a mile in their shoes. So that was the beginning. And there was a point, um, you know, when I started as a financial advisor, I did what most people did. You sort of answer the phone and then I got into the sales process and, and what have you. And I was terrible at it. And I was really not having a great time uh, dialing for dollars. And I was about it's a year hard. and a half in. It's hard, right? It is, it's really hard. At the time, I was telling my wife, you know, I was like, hey, I'm just like, I'm just not good at this. And she was going to go to law school and, and said, hey, well, just, you know, look somewhere nice. I mean, we're in Florida, but this is a nice place. Let's just do something different. So she goes off, she applies, she applies to Colorado and San Diego. And, and sure enough, she gets a full scholarship to law school. I didn't even know those existed. Right, right. But she got one. And, you know, the, so then, of course, by the time that this happens, she gets into school in San Diego and. I actually turn my business around and I actually start getting better and I start getting clients and I start building a book of business. And I'm like, wow, I've actually, you know, I've, I've figured this out. So we make the move. I go over, I say, you know, I tell my OSJ, you know, hey, 
we want to move to San Diego. She's got a full scholarship. But I'd like to start my own branch in San Diego because I think I got this figured out now. So he said, yeah, sure, go ahead. So I'm now in San Diego with no marketing money, you know, dialing for dollars out of a 900 square foot apartment, putting my wife through law school. And lo and behold, I'm terrible again because yeah, I don't <laughs> have any of the any support or infrastructure or a name. And I, you know, I'm 25 years old and, sure. you know, all of the issues that come along with that. So I, I went over to LPL. LPL was, you know, in San Diego and they had just starting up a product desk. And, um, that was my first entrance into the, the corporate world. They had a, a, a desk of eight folks that they pulled from the service center, and the whole job was to help advisors navigate the product shelves. Because it's independent broker-dealer, you've got a lot of choice. How do I help map you to the right solution for end investors? So great concept. I started on the team, but lo and behold, they were all from the service center, and I was the one financial advisor, and we were all terrible. So if this is this, this <laughs> consistent thing of not being good at jobs for me right out of the gate. So uh, I used to take home uh, product prospectuses with me and study with my wife while she was in law school. And because I was just tired of us being so terrible, and as I was studying these prospectuses, I'd create grids, and then I would try to teach the rest of the crew about the product so we could just That's be great. better at our, at our jobs. And lo and behold, as you know, right, when you're the teacher, you actually end up having a command over the, the subject matter. And sure enough, the company said, hey, you know, you kind of know this stuff. You know, why don't you take over managing our product line? And so I did that. And, you know, I got one and I got another and then I got all of it in the end. That is great. I love it. So from financial advisor on both coasts and to a product guru, one product at a time to now kind of overall seeing all products. Tell us about what you're doing now. What are you excited about? What's happening in your world? LPL, I, just to give you my editorial comment, it's just looks like it's killing it on all fronts. So why don't you talk a little bit about, fill us in on what you're doing now and and where you see things, we'll talk about where things are going in a little bit, but yeah, what are you working on now that you're excited about? Sure. So look, I think you're seeing a huge movement towards model-based practices. And that's something that, you know, it gets me excited just in how we are able to create the capabilities and the infrastructure to help enable advisors to, to run their businesses more efficiently and also create great outcomes for investors as well. And when I say models-based practice, I don't actually mean forcing advisors to outsource money management. What I really mean is just the practice of having a discrete set of models, whether the advisor created it themselves, whether their firm created it, whether they use a third party, doesn't really matter. It's just about having a process that gets you to a place to have that scalability, that closeness to the investments that you're recommending. You're having a narrowed down your diligence, you're easily telling the story to investors about what's happening and changing, and ultimately putting you in a better position to expand the level of advice that you're offering beyond just asset allocation and what have you to other sorts of financial planning concepts and other services alongside of that. So as working on that and facilitating models-based practices, we're doing that in two different ways. We've done it within our UMA where if you think about it, UMAs, when they first came out, they were almost productized and people were just trying to sell a UMA, right, as a product. And I think that turned a lot of folks off and we didn't want to do it that way. We really have a principle about having this advisor-driven innovation gene and something that's really trying to help people solve problems within their practice. So we actually went about it in a pragmatic way and said, hey, what problems can we help you solve 
in helping you run a better business and creating these outcomes. And lo and behold, with our UMA, we started with a model marketplace, and that was great for a lot of people. Right? It started with our research models, and we expanded it to a number of different third-party providers that they could choose from. So you got over 200 different models available on the platform. But not everybody wanted to give up running the money. So what problem could we solve? Well, they may not want to give up managing the money, but they certainly don't like the trading aspect of it because nobody differentiates on trading. So we created this concept called advisor sleeve within our UMA that essentially allows a financial advisor to create their own menu of discrete models and then outsource the trading to LPL to essentially give them that extra leverage, horsepower, operating efficiency to make that conversion to a model-based practice. So we've done that within our UMA, and we're, we've got a large roadmap and expanding other versions of innovation. We do it for we we have you know versions of advisor sleeve that's a firm sleeve, or a, you know a bank or a large REA could create models for you know the advisors in their office that's streamlined into proposal generation, new account opening, and and what have you. But that's not the only place we're doing it. We're also doing it in a Repis PM platform. So if you remember, we acquired a company called Blaze which is a trading technology that was built specifically for REAs. And we love that because, again, it's purpose-driven and built based around an REA need and use case. It's not one of those tools that was created by an institution to serve portfolio managers that's tough to navigate. It's built for REAs and built on a practical use case. And so we're fully integrating that into our platforms today for our Repis PM platform. And it's really with the spirit of helping advisors run a model-based practice more efficiently and effectively. And so we're really keeping an eye on what those workflows look like, how somebody puts a model together, making it as easy as possible to run a model themselves. And then we'll also have the ability to have third-party models in there as well, just with that extra dynamic. As you know, in a Repis PM platform, you've got that review-release workflow, right, versus if you're going to a UMA where you're essentially outsourcing the trade, the trading component entirely. But it's important to have that, no matter how you want to structure your business, we've got options. That's the motto of really how we're trying to build out our capabilities and solve for them. So I'd say that's one thing really excited about. The second one is just when you look at the macro trends, you know, obviously there's this big push from brokerage to advisory, but there's some implications associated with that. And one of the things that we noticed was around, you know, obviously there's a regulatory requirement with advisory for advisors to meet with a client on an annual basis. And, you know, having been an advisor, right, I can tell you exactly what that process is because I've done it. Uh, you know, if clients coming into the office, I'm going through, I'm creating a, an agenda in one place, and then I'm going to the performance reporting tool that morning because I want the closest performance reporting that I can find within the specific template that I have, right? And then I'm getting other sort of personal information from the CRM to help me understand, you know, other aspects about what's going on with the client. And I'm trying to assemble all of that in advance of that client coming in. And then we're going to have the meeting. Well, if you think about the amount of work that's involved, and that gets considerable for either the support staff or a financial advisor. And we saw that as a real bottleneck in the overall adoption of the advisory business. So we created a tool called Meeting Manager, which is you know, it's, it's another part that gets me really excited because this is just, again, thinking about a problem for advisors and trying to help them solve for it. So what Meeting Manager does is it really connects all of those workflows where it essentially says, hey, tell me when your client annual meeting is. Now, And then we've got the set date. And then on the set date, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to run the agenda for you. So the agenda, I'm going to use your agenda template, put that together. I'm going to run the performance report in your templates, attach that to the agenda. And you know, you're going to have a lot of different customized features that you can put in there that essentially has your packet ready for you 
when that meeting that's actually great. occurs. And then we're going to automate the whole process that's required to go about documenting that you had the meeting as well and store it in the LPL ecosystem. So wow. really trying to streamline that process and, and, and support the advisory business overall. That probably be number two as we think about workflows. And then last but not least, I'll, I'll talk about products. I'm a product geek. Sure, sure. You know, certainly, you know, in the retirement business, there's a ton of tailwinds within the retirement plan space. So certainly looking at the opportunities with pooled employer plans and how we might help small businesses cover more Americans in the country. So that's a really exciting and really noble cause that we're excited about. Obviously, there's a strong push in the level of adoption and things that can happen within the alternative investment space. You get a lot of innovation that's occurring both in the product structure and the investments. And if you start looking at different places, you've got other, you know, certainly other things that you'd want to focus on. And then lastly, in the the annuity business as well, certainly income and retirement incomes very important. You've got New and unique challenges coming, certainly as you start looking at the advisory space. Personally, I think if, I mean, we talk about like what's coming, but I think the standalone living benefit business isn't done. I think that there's a lot of runway there for that out into the future, and it could be a really interesting add to a lot of advisory platforms, particularly in a UMA context. So those are – that's a lot, Jack. We got, I've got more, but those are, the, those are probably the, the big I was going to say, do it when do you sleep? <laughs> that's great. That's right. Good, good for you. So, wow, that is a lot. You got a lot on your plate. So my question is, one, how do you juggle all those balls? Because you got a lot to juggle there and you got some swords and some fire sticks and whatever that you're juggling in between all that. How do you put all that together? And also, how do you convey that to the advisors? I know you are very advisor-centric as a firm. That's really a part of your mission is to really support the advisor fully. Sounds like you're doing that. I guess my question to you is, how do you juggle all that? How do you make it available and, and something that the advisor can embrace and not get blown away by just all the choices and options and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll probably break that up into a, a couple of different components. I think first off, it starts with a great team and great talent on the team. So, you know, there's a lot of different people that are involved in those elements of those initiatives that I mentioned. And, you know, it's really important to have great talent that is creative, innovative, that's client-centric that understands the issues, that's focused on solving problems for the clients and essentially bringing forward those ideas to actually help propel the company in doing the best that it can in the end for its advisors. So that's probably part one in, in, in the juggling. It's just quality people make everything a lot easier. Yep. The second piece is around, I might categorize the, the part that you're highlighting around advisor adoption and how do you make that happen? We've done a lot of work on this. I think adoption overall is an issue that a lot of financial services firms struggle with across the industry. I don't, it's not isolated to any particular firm per se. No, it's, it's a big issue across the industry. But we do like to think about the overall, the workflows, the experience, how we roll things out. One of the latest challenges we've been thinking through is if we were to do a product launch, how do we go about scoring it on the relative level of complexity for adoption? And, and then based upon certain scores, that can actually dictate the level of training and communication that's commensurate along with that. So that will be sort of one framework of actually how we think about rolling out products. And then another one, too, is to also envision a world where we don't actually have a, you know, a telephone or a service center to call. How do you make something so easy to adopt that nobody has to pick up the phone and call you on how to actually use it? So we try to challenge ourselves in those two different ways as we think about adoption and really trying to be the best that we can be to help uh, advisors in their practices. 
Smart. <laughs> I've not heard it characterized that way, but that sounds like I, my version of that, uh, for what it's worth, is that really to build in the into the technology of anything that you do, something where it's as easy as the rest of technology in our lives, where we don't have to, we don't have to call someone to figure out how to get it done. So very smart. Yeah, that's right. There's a lot of sayings around this. My other favorite one is training is a design flaw. <laughs> <laughs> we are singing from the same hymn. <laughs> that's yeah, right. totally. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more in terms of what you're saying. It's just how do you make it so simple that anyone can do it? That's really mm-hmm. what the objective is, right? Yeah. That's and if right. that's the case, then you can share it with a client. You can, you know, as an advisor, you can feel fully comfortable in explaining what you're talking about because it's all right there. Yeah, that's right. Terrific. A lot on your plate, a lot of accomplishments. We haven't identified all the accomplishments, but if you read the, the news, you're, you've heard and we'll hear more. LPL seems to be putting it out on a regular basis. And not that you're not doing what you're doing every day, but you're also thinking ahead. Next three to five years, what does that look like? What, what do you see coming down the pike? Yeah, and... You know, I've seen a couple of your podcasts, so I want to make sure that I'm not repeating a lot of the things that are being said. I think, <laughs> you know, initially there's this buzzword when somebody asks that question where the first thing somebody says is personalization. Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we ought to do that, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, it would be nice. I might categorize it a different way, though. Good. I wrote an article this year in Aaron's just highlighting some of the big trends. And and one of the ones that I highlighted, just probably at a more macro level, is this idea that technology is attacking the product wrapper. So if you think about it, a product really exists as a vehicle of convenience, because to be the most efficient way to deliver or put something in the hands of either an advisor or an end investor. And it so happens that with the evolution of technology, we're actually getting to a place where that's not actually the most efficient and effective way to deliver solutions. And as you look at the difference now between packaged products that are not personal to even you think about the proliferation of the SMA business, which can be a lot more personal and personal either through tax management, either through Rob's in financial services and probably doesn't need any more in his life, so we're going to you know, cut some of that back, right? There's a whole host of possibilities here, but thematically, that's what's really occurring, and it's bringing forward you know, these extra unique benefits that you didn't have in the legacy product menu. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that one, that trend will continue out into the future, and you'll see it in a host of different places. I think next to that, I think the client engagement is going to evolve and change. And I hate for a lot of this to be sort of technology themed, but there is this role that technology can play with essentially helping to strengthen the bond between advisors and investors. We don't necessarily view the world as being something where technology takes over and does everything for everybody in this robo-type fashion. Our hypothesis is mostly oriented around human-centered advice And this concept of wrapping an advisor with technology to actually help them and help investors in, you know, scalable fashions in a way that creates better outcomes and personalization and other things. So we've learned a lot of lessons on, you know, communication and technology and the role that it plays. We took some from the robos. And if you think about the robos, when they started, they had some innovation by accident. They had what I categorize as, as digital servicing. And they did it out of necessity because they didn't have anyone to pick up the phone if somebody called. So the byproduct of that was, was that they actually ended up removing the low quality conversations that an investor might call about 
but preserving the high quality ones, right? And mm-hmm. so instead of like what happened in the market today, they've got a digital interface that's telling people about that, right? Yep. Yep. But when the question is, hey, my life changed, I've got an inheritance or, you know, something happened in the family, you know, they have that outlet for support there. So yep. I do think client engagement continues to evolve and how advisors are able to stay in front of them with, you know, their thoughts and their level of support to help them as they think about their financial future. And then speaking of financial future, probably the last piece is around this concept of the expansion of the advice model. We see that today with the proliferation of financial planning and the sort of host of services that are delivered, the trend of advisors moving beyond the equity side of the balance sheet to the debt side of the balance sheet to thinking through benefits and a host of things. I am particularly passionate around, I'll just give you another story around estate planning. I think that that's an area that has a whole ton of potential, particularly it's probably the next one in the fintech space, because I'd highlight a couple of different issues. First one being that, you know, if you work with an estate planning attorney and, you know, advisors will often be frustrated by the transactional nature of it because they'll have this sort of ongoing fiduciary relationship with the client. They'll go to an estate planning attorney, they'll get their estate plan documents done, but it's transactional. Three years later, their life has changed as no one's calling them back saying, hey, what else can I change for you in your estate plan? Right? But the advisor's left holding the bag there. So there's some interesting companies that have been started up in this theme of thinking through how we might make the estate planning process, workflow, service a little bit better in the, the context of the wealth management space. And next to that is also the evolution of you know our daily lives and the things that we do. And if you think about how the digital world is progressing – you might also think about how sometimes we don't realize it or that we might not be prepared for it. And the best example I can give is I was at a trustee conference, the corporate trustees. I was at a conference and it, you know, there was this group discussion and nobody wanted to be named the executor of an estate. And the reason why was because back in the day, you could sit by the mailbox for 90 days and you'd have a pretty good picture of what was going on. And today you're lucky if you get 10% of that. Mm-hmm. So it, we've got all of these now unique issues that that arise because, you know, who's planning for, you know, you probably have friends that, they, you know, may have passed away and are on Facebook forever, right? How do you think about, you know, your social media legacy? How do you think about crypto? What happens to crypto assets? That's a whole other thing. There's companies started up around <laughs> that. And, and look, even as like a lot of the Silicon Valley companies, they're only now just releasing some things that actually consider death. Because a lot of them didn't like to think about it. Interesting. If you think about email and, and, again, the social media places, there's a whole host of other issues you should think about the digital aspect of people's lives that folks haven't actually planned around for. And there's a ton of opportunity for advisors to layer in, provide education and value there. So, Rob, this has been great. I've really enjoyed the conversation. You've got a, you got a huge spectrum of products, solutions, opportunities. I know you're executing well. LPL's on a roll. So congratulations on all that good work. As we uh, look to uh, wrap up, what are three key takeaways you'd like to share with our audiences, what we've covered so far today? First, that theme of technology attacking the product wrapper. And it's not something that's scary. It's something to be embraced and that can provide extra features and benefits for advisors and investors. Second, sort of coinciding along with that, there's this opportunity for the way in which we communicate and keep investors abreast of what's happening uh, with their portfolios and with their financial plan and their their course throughout their livelihood, I think that evolves and continues to get better and helps advisors really strengthen that connection. And then certainly, last but not least, the scope of services that are being delivered continue to evolve, continue to get more robust and thinking through the entire financial life of an end investor. 
versus only segments of it. So Rob, thanks for the update on the three key takeaways, all very interesting and engaging. One of my favorite questions, as we've discussed, is we do each week with our podcast guests is to talk about something that people might find interesting or unique that you do outside of work that it's kind of fun or surprising or worthy of sharing. So please tell. I'll give you interesting and surprising. So what is interesting is that I was born and raised in England. Albeit I do not have okay. an accent because when I went into the financial advice business and I was cold calling, I had to get rid of it because if people don't understand what you said in the first 30 <laughs> seconds, they're going to hang up on you. <laughs> So that would be very interesting. Surprising is, and this is a little off the beaten path, I can actually do flips on a wakeboard. And there was a moment in time where I participated in some small competitions, which a lot of people find surprising given that I'm 6'3", probably look like Air Big Bird out there, but <laughs> I can't actually do that. And for those that may not know what a wakeboard is, why don't you just explain? Think of it like instead of uh, water skiing, it's like a snowboard behind a boat. And the objective is to jump the wake and perform tricks. Cool. By the way, this is why it's my favorite question. You always hear something like, really? <laughs> I actually have both counts, both the uh, the British accent as well as the wakeboard. So uh, that's great. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. This has been really enjoyable. I had high expectations. You've exceeded these. Thanks for a great conversation. For our audience, if you've enjoyed our podcast, please review, subscribe, and share what we are doing here on Wealth Tech on Deck. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again, Rob. This has been a great pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech on Deck, our ongoing conversation about improving financial outcomes for all. This podcast is brought to you by LifeYield and produced by Reverb. Subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with our host, Jack Sherry, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And for more information about our perspective on the future of financial advice, visit our website at lifeyield.com. Mm-hmm.